I want to welcome you this morning as we gather together. I'm really, really appreciative of the kids. Uh, we're in this journey of preparing for Christmas. Uh, it's a season of Advent, and uh, that video was from our Living Nativity a couple years ago. Uh, we did one online. It was called a Streaming Nativity. And um, we, we've been looking forward to um, lighting each of these candles progressively as we've pursued... Um, the birth, and, and each one of these, uh, the, the candle of hope and joy, today was peace and, and love will be next week, and, and then culminating with the, the Savior candle, Christ candle. Um, these are all in that announcement that the shepherds proclaimed, or the angels proclaimed to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. And, and we're going to come back and look at those on Christmas Eve, but this year our Living Nativity is focusing on the life of, of Peter and Jesus, uh, the life they shared together, and, and really looking at how Peter experienced these gifts in the midst of uh, following Jesus and um, journeying alongside of him. Like I said, this morning we lit the, the candle of peace. And, you know, peace is kind of hard to describe. And, and a lot of languages, when they define peace, uh, they actually, they describe it in a negative form. What do I mean? Well, they'll say what it isn't. Like, uh, it's, peace is to be without trouble. Or, or peace is to have no worries. And this way of describing things, it goes back to the very, very early church uh, when the, the theologians, they, they tried to come up with ways to describe God, and they really struggled to adequately describe God. Obviously, it's very difficult. And so over time, they came up with a technique. It's called the via negativa. Uh, the via negativa is Latin for the negative way or uh, by way of negation, really, is what it says. And, and the thought was, rather than describing what God is like, that they found it was a lot easier to describe how God was not, how, what God was not like. And so they found if they tr wanted to define everything that God wasn't, what they would be left with would be a picture of God, what God was. I hope that makes sense. So the Via Negativa. It kind of expanded over the years, and, and I, I actually think it's a very helpful technique, not in how it was uh, initially uh, worked out, but one way kind of to think about some of the things that we say, how might they sound from a perspective? And you've probably heard like the famous quote, you know, thereby by the grace of God go I. And, and the story goes back to this famous story. A pastor was walking down the road and he saw just a drunk bum on the side of the road. And he said, well, thereby the, for the grace of God go I. Which sounds great. I mean, only by God's grace do I have the life that, that, you know, I have. But if you plug there but by the grace go I into the via negativa, what you realize that you're saying is that while God has given me all kinds of grace, God withheld his grace from this drunk on the side of the road. And that's good for me, but not so much for the other guy, right? And that's not how the God of Jesus Christ works. Today I want to apply the via negativa to what I think is the absolute saddest part of the gospel narrative outside of Jesus' crucifixion. And that is the chapter preceding the crucifixion. We're going to look at Mark 14 today, and we're going to go through Mark 14. Of the disciples in Mark 14, 
kind of the definition of the opposite of being without trouble. It's the definition of the opposite of having no worries. Because chapter 14 is just completely void of peace. So really, the story of the disciples in Mark 14 is an illustration of the human condition. And that's really the story of the disciples in the entire Gospel of Mark. And we're going to come back to this as we prepare for Easter uh, in, in Lent this next year. But every one of the four Gospels, they each have something very unique to offer, something unique that the other Gospels don't focus on at all. And one of the ways that the Gospel of Mark is unique, how he tells the story of the disciples. And you can read Mark, and you can focus on the story of the disciples, not as much on Jesus, but if you focus on the story of the disciples, you realize their story is our story. I mean, it's, it's all about discipleship. Remember the story. So Jesus calls his disciples. What do he say? He says, follow me. And they just did. They just left everything. They dropped everything. They dropped their nets and they just followed him. They started out so well. And, and I think about what a gift, what an affirmation that would have been to Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? He sees Andrew, and for the first time, they're just casting their nets out in the sea, and he just says, follow me, and I'll teach you how to be fishers of men. And, and can you feel how Jesus would have felt when they just dropped their nets, and they just walked away from everything they knew to follow him? I mean, I can just hear, it's, it's happening. They're doing it. I mean, he must have just thanked God for providing such trustworthy disciples that he could share his journey with. They're going to follow me all the way. I won't have to do this alone. I won't have to die alone. Father, thank you. But the clearer Jesus becomes about his path throughout the gospel, the more difficult it becomes for the disciples to follow. So if the definition of peace, one of them is just to be without trouble or to have no worries, the closer the storm gets, the disciples in Mark are the via negativa of peace to the point that they completely abandon Jesus in his hour of need. But even then, Jesus has this clarity. He has this focus. He has this purpose. And he's committed to it. And it brings him a, a, a sense of peace in the midst of the storm. But his followers? Do you remember the story, Mark 4, where Jesus, he, he calms the storm while they're in the boat. And, and there's so much irony in this story. You know, the carpenter, the landlubber, Jesus, he's asleep peacefully. The professional fishermen, they're freaking out as soon as the storm hits. And do you remember what Jesus, he wakes up and what he says to the wind. He says, peace, be still. Peace. And that story is kind of a metaphor for discipleship. 
It's Mark's metaphor for the disciples. And, and frankly, it comes ahead in Mark chapter 14. Because Mark 14 is a case study for us of both the positive and the negative examples of how to endure suffering and persecution. Jesus is complete peace in the midst of the storm. And he's aware of the storm. And then the disciples are just the complete lack of peace. Especially Peter. So Mark 14 begins by telling us that these chief priests and and, and the scribes are looking for a way to arrest Jesus and they want to kill him. And Judas goes to the chief priest and he makes this deal, I will lead you to Jesus, he'll be the one that I kiss, that will be your sign. And the priests agree to pay him in silver. It's Passover, which was a huge, huge festival for the Jewish people. And it was a celebration uh, of the time that God freed the slaves from Egypt. And, and, and they had this elaborate meal, was the point. And they would retell the story progressively throughout the meal. So Jesus, he sends two of his disciples to, to go into the city and to find a place and get everything ready for them to pa- celebrate Passover. And so they come together, Mark 14, in the upper room. And, and Mark says, when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. And they began to be distressed. And they say to him, one another, surely not I, Lord. Surely not I. One after another, 12 times. Surely not I. That is not a question that innocent people ask. Ever. I mean, translated, surely not I, means what do you know? And that's not peace. That's a guilty conscience. That's someone who knows, but doesn't know how much is known about what they've done, where they are. And every one of the twins know they are not innocent. There are not 11 no's here, right? We think there's only one yes, but, but... and we think we know who the yes would come from. But Jesus says, no. Jesus says, it's one of the twelve. The one who's dipping his bread into the bowl with me. Every one of them are going to fail Jesus. Before the morning, every one of them are going to betray him. And every one of them are going to cease to be his follower. Which makes the next thing he does even more. While they're eating, he takes the loaf of bread, the Passover meal, unleavened. And after blessing it, Mark says he broke it and he gave it. And he said, take, this is my body. And then he takes the cup of the Passover and he gives thanks and he gives it to them and he passes one to the other and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. And then he says, truly I tell you, I will never drink of it again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
And then every one of them dips their bread in the cup with him. But none of those disciples are going to follow him where he's going. And, And the point, we say this so often, disciples are followers. I mean, we water that down. But disciples, they follow their leader. They go where their leader goes. They do what their leader does, right? And in chapter 14 of Mark, he stops calling them disciples. I mean, the storm hits, they stop. He's offering them his life. He's explaining to them what is going to occur on the cross, his body, his blood given. Jesus is giving himself completely, and then with hours he's going to die. And Jesus is still trying to reach out to them, even though the entire story of the Last Supper is surrounded by the failure and the betrayal of these men. Mark says every one of these, even Judas, share the meal with Jesus. And every one of them dips their bread in the cup. And Jesus offers grace to every one of them, regardless if they're ready to receive it or not. Next, Mark says, of olives. Jesus said, you will all become deserters. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter says, even though all will become deserters, I, I, I will not. And Jesus looks at Peter. He says, truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, vehemently it says in Greek, even though I must die with you, I will not deny. And, and Mark says, every one of us say the same thing. The story together is almost over at this point. The oath that they're making that they will stay with him is just all the more tragic. Because it's not just clear here. They all say the same. They all swear their allegiance. Even though I must die, I will not deny you, Jesus. I will follow. I mean, can you imagine just several hours later, Jesus reliving this scene in his mind as he's hanging on the cross. They stick with me. I'm still following. See my father right now. I will follow. From here on out, we're told what happens as both Jesus and his followers face death. And it's a juxtaposition, it's a contrast. Jesus shows a peace in the midst of the storm. Just focus in the midst of incredible stress. And the exact opposite in the disciples via negativa. And at this point in Mark, we realize the disciples, they were never the model of following, ever. The real model of following was always Jesus. Jesus follows God's call. His life is about giving. His life is about loving. His life is about sacrifice. His life is about servanthood. 
incredible sense of peace in the midst of a storm we cannot comprehend. Jesus was consistent all the way to the end. Even when it doesn't make sense, even in the midst of the silence of God, Jesus follows the path. He never stopped following. And he never stopped leading. They fail. He does not. He has peace in the midst of this storm. Jesus shows faithful way to meet death in prayer and in faith. And the disciples can't even stay awake as Jesus prays. I mean, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. Jesus asks them to stay awake as he prays. Three times he falls, they fall asleep. He's wrestling with his call. He keeps going back. Abba, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup, but not what I want, but what thou wilt. What you want. That's discipleship. Putting the desires of God ahead of our desires. My will and your will are not the same, God. But what you want be done. I trust in your goodness, God, your presence, God. Even though I can't feel it, God, I will follow. That trust in God's presence and and God's goodness brings a sense of peace and calm in the midst of the worst storm imaginable. Even in his last hours, as he stood, everything and face death, Jesus bent his will to God's will. And in the midst of anxiety and and this trouble, he prayed while the disciples were comfortable enough to fall asleep. Not once, not twice, but three times. They denied him three times, right? everyone. Jesus hasn't even been arrested yet. They were weak. He is strong. And even in the midst of his concern and his anxiety and his trouble and his suffering, the third time he finds him asleep and he shouts, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's get going. My betrayer is at hand. The hour he's talking about is not just the hour of his betrayal. It's, it's the hour his followers stopped following. The storm sank them. They are no longer his followers. They stopped following. I mean, Mark completely stops calling them disciples at this point. From Mark 14.32 all the way through Betrayal, the trial, the crucifixion. Mark stops calling them disciples. They're not going to be disciples again until Mark 16 at the empty tomb when an angel sees the woman who comes to the tomb to take the body and says, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's not even a disciple yet, that he's going ahead of you. There you'll see him in Galilee just as he told you. In Greek, the word enough, it was actually an accounting term, accounting, and, and basically meant this line of credit has been closed. 
The transaction's done. It's, it's over. There is no more credit to be had here. Disciples have had chance after chance to be faithful, but the book is just closed. So Judas comes. He kisses Jesus. He betrays him with a kiss. Crowd armed with swords and clubs, they, they come to arrest him. In 1450, Mark says, all of them deserted and fled. And there again, the, the Greek word for deserted here is fascinating. It's the exact same one Mark used in 120. When Jesus said, follow me, and James and John, they left their father and hired hands in the boat. They deserted their father. So it started their story. It's what ends their story. They all deserted and fled, except for one. We're left with Peter. Peter follows the distance, watching as Jesus is taken, stands trial. And Jesus asks, are you the Messiah, the, the Son of the Blessed One? And he responds, yes, even though it meant his death. And you caught that confession with Peter, or his lack thereof, Mark 14, 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared and said, you also, with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And he went into the forecourt, and the cock crowed, and the servant girl on seeing him began to say again by his bystanders, man, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders, again, they said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know the man you're talking about. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Peter remembered, Jesus said, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he broke and he wept. Jesus had described Peter's denial just as he had foretold his arrest and his suffering, his death. The guards were taunting Jesus, prophesy, prophesy. Well, he already had, and it all came true. Follow me. And they left everything. They left their dad. They abandoned him and the hired men in the boat. And they promised they would be there, even if they didn't promise. But Jesus knew. I will strike the sheep. The sheep will be scattered. Jesus knew. Even though I must die, I will not deny you. Jesus knew. Jesus faced death alone. He had no followers. Why? Complete lack of peace. It's the opposite of being without trouble. It's the opposite of having no worries. Peter and the other 11 in Mark's case study of the lack of peace. But their story is our story. 
This is our universal story. A, a need for peace in our hearts. And without it, we are victims of fear. We're victims of anxiety. And, and when things are great, but the moment the storm hits, we fall. And rather than follow Jesus, we follow fear. We follow our anxiety. We follow our self-concern. And as Jesus followed God's call, he was filled with this peace in the midst of a storm that it came from just a complete sense of commitment to his purpose. Sure he knew. But his followers had no peace in the midst of the storm to the point that they stopped following. They became disciple to fear and anxiety. Those things took over. Those things became their God. But this is the human condition. But the angels told the shepherds the Savior was the answer to the human condition. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them shined around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you this born on this day in the city of David is a Savior who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. This will be the sign. You will find a child wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to high God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those he favors. We need the gifts that the angel proclaimed. Hope, joy, love, and peace. We need the Savior. You pray with me, Lord, I thank you on this day. for grace. Thank you for the second chances you give us over and over and over and over and over. And as we espouse our allegiance, but in the midst of the storm, we cower. Lord, grant us peace. birth in our hearts anew. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.